wonderful things happening. We had a great turnout last week for our competitive uh, softball team. I think almost 20 guys in that room. Uh, small groups are just taking off. New groups are forming. Uh, just wonderful ministries happening in the church. So we have a lot to thank God for and, and praise God for. Friend Day was tremendous a success last week. A lot of friends uh, came. And then uh, from date night even, we had 20 people uh, Friday night uh, back uh, at, for a six-week small group study, investing in their relationships, investing in their marriages, uh, led by Mark. Just a tremendous uh, thing going on there with, with couples investing in their relationships. So let's just praise God, church. That's, I, God's working and moving, and it's wonderful, wonderful, very good things happening. So we're in this series, uh, second week, called Limitless, because God really is limitless. And I love this image because there's this person just staring up at the sky and just looking at the stars and the galaxy. And I just think even creation speaks to the limit, limitlessness of God because it just goes on and on and on. There is no beginning to God. There is no end. God is absolutely limitless. Yet we know as people we have limits. However, God, this limitless God, calls us limited people into relationship with him. And so God is always calling for us to reach higher heights and for us to experience more of him in our lives and more power uh, in our lives and, and just more, more faith and more good things in our life, really a full life. And so that's what this series is about because there are things that God wants us to experience, yet we know in this life there are things that hinder us or limit us from really experiencing, I think, all that God has for us. And some of us, because we've been hurt or wounded, uh, we just have these very low expectations of God. Uh, God maybe once was up here, but now the expectations are very low. And just praying that through this series, your expectations raise, your faith raises, you begin to believe that God has more for you than where you are right now. Amen, church? Amen. So, so last week uh, we talked about fear, and we learned that Jesus had a message for his followers, and it was fear not. And Jesus said this, there are things in this life to fear. There's things to be afraid of, but fear not. And the whole point that Jesus was making is we don't want to fear the things of this world, the, the people of this world, the things of this world that are very temporary. Those aren't the things that we're supposed to fear. What we are to fear is the one who is eternal, the one who has control over eternity in all things, and that's Jesus Christ. And when we fear and we reverence Jesus Christ above all things, Jesus does a miracle in our lives. Jesus actually takes the fear away of the temporary events and the temporary people and the temporary things in our lives. And that's the miracle that Jesus gives us back if we just fear and reverence him with all that we have. The things of this world don't grip us with fear. And that's really the key to overcoming fear. That's really the key to fearing not. Well, fear can limit what God wants to do in our lives. If you want to check out that message, just go online and listen to it. Also, doubt can limit what God wants to do in our lives. And Jesus says as well, doubt not. And I want to talk to you today about doubt. Now, with my position, being a pastor... People come to me and they talk and they talk and then they start getting quiet. And they, they, they kind of get quiet because they're going into this question. You know, Pastor Dan, you're a pastor and you're a man of faith. And, you know, you, you just have given your life to God and, and ministry and all those things. And I just, just have a question for you. Do you ever have any doubts? And do you know what I say back to them? Never, no, I never have any doubts. That's not what I say to them. I say, 
sure, I have lots of doubts. I've had doubts before. I have doubts now. I know I have doubts in the future. And the good news for all of us today is this. 100% of Christ followers have doubts. So if you've ever had doubts or maybe you're even doubting today, maybe you're here and you're not even sure if God is real or really what you believe, if you believe that Jesus is God or was just a spiritual man or a good spiritual teacher, you may not even know exactly what you think about those things. That's okay. It's okay to have doubts because his closest followers had doubts. In fact, most of us here today, if I said, hey, name the 12 disciples, you might not be able to do that. But if I said there was one disciple and he had a nickname, it was Doubting Everyone knows that. Why? Because Thomas had his doubts. And Thomas didn't just doubt before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Thomas doubted after Jesus was raised from the dead and was there. That's when Thomas still doubted. So listen, the good news is this. You can still be a follower of Jesus. You can still have faith. You can still love God with everything you have and still have doubts. Because 100% of people that follow Christ have had doubts at one time or another. So the big idea, kind of the big point, I'm just going to give this to you up front. So if you need to leave early or you just want to check out early, you're just going to get the main point right up front here. I'm going to give it to you. Don't let doubt take you out. Let's say that together. Don't let doubt take you out. That rhymes. That's right, that's good, you'll remember that. Don't let doubt take you out. I want you to walk away with one thing today. You're gonna have doubts. 100% of followers of God have doubts. Even if you're not following God, you're gonna have doubts. But listen, don't let doubt take you out. So we're gonna pick up where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Matthew was one of followers of Jesus and wrote this gospel uh, account of Jesus' life. And so if you wanna open up your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 14, or you can go again on your phone or electronic device and check that out. But we'll put it up on the screen for you. And we're gonna be actually reading out of the New King James Version today. And we're gonna start in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 28. And we're going to pick up, if you remember, Jesus was teaching his followers this lesson about fear not. So he sent them out on this boat and they're out in this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And this storm comes up and they're rowing, rowing, rowing against the wind. They're not going anywhere. And then Jesus is praying, 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 waits all night long till these guys are exhausted, worn out, tired, wondering if God forgot them, Jesus forgot them, had forsaken them. Then he comes out walking on the water and they're afraid. They think it's a ghost because again, at that point, they didn't know it was Jesus. And this is where we we pick up in verse 28. So here's the situation. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you. So even there's doubt there. Lord, if it is you. So Peter sees this figure, this man on the water, and Jesus says, hey, it's I. Take courage. Don't be afraid. And so Peter answers him and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And I know most of us, if we tried to follow God, there's some point where God asks us to do something and we say to God, if that's you, then give me a sign. If it's you telling me to do this or leading me to do this, then give me a sign. And this is what Peter's doing. Lord, if it is you, command me. That's the sign I want. Command me to come to you on the water, okay? So here's what Jesus says. Jesus gives him the sign. Jesus says, come, all right, come. Come, Peter, come out on the water. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, and remember what the boat is, the boat is your fear. 
whatever the boat is in your life, it's your fear. If you want to know what your boat is, just think about what you're afraid of. Your fear will tell you what your boat is. Well, Peter was in the safety of this boat, but he gets outside of his fear. He fears not, and he steps down out of this boat, comes out of the boat, and he walks on the water, and he goes to Jesus. So everything's going great. Peter's walking on water, going to Jesus. This is an amazing miracle that's recorded for us. We have 2,000 years later. But when he saw, so Peter's walking on water, everything's going great. Then he saw that the wind was boisterous. Everyone say boisterous. Isn't that a great word? Boisterous. The wind was boisterous. And he saw the wind. It was boisterous. And he was afraid. So here comes the fear again. He had overcome his fear, but then here comes the fear back. He saw the wind. It was boisterous. And then beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now, boisterous. Have you ever been to a ball game and there's that guy that's just boisterous? You've been to an Indians game or a Browns game or maybe a Little League game or a soccer game or a softball game, and there's someone in the crowd, and they are just yelling. They're boisterous. They're yelling. They're annoying. You can't stand them. You wish they would just go home and leave or go get a hot dog and never come back, right? They're just, they're just boisterous. Well, I experienced that once, and it wasn't a man, but it was a woman. And I had uh, actually asked God about doing something, and it was coaching freshman football at Canton South High School. I said, God, if you want me to do this, then give me a sign. And he opened up doors and signs. So I go ahead and coach freshman football at Canton South High School. High level of football, very high level of football. Yeah, you can laugh there. It's not, not quite. So... We had all, you know, of 15 guys on the team. You need 11 to play football. We had literally about 15 guys. So every week I was praying, God, just help us to have enough people to play the game. In the stands, there was usually around the same amount of people, 12 to 15 people. So there's this one kid on the team, and he was always getting hurt, if you know what I mean. He would get hurt, but he really wasn't hurt. He wasn't tough at all. And so during the game, this particular player, he goes down on the field. And I know he's not hurt because he's always hurt. So our trainers go out onto the field, and they start tending to the, to the, to the player. And when the trainers go out, as a coach, you're taught, let the trainers do their job. You're not even supposed to go out there and mess around. Just let the trainers do your job, do their job, stay on the sideline. So I'm doing what a coach does. It's dead quiet. If you ever put 15 people, you know, in the stands, you know, 30 people playing, maybe another 12 on the other side, in a big football stadium, you can hear everything. So it's totally quiet. Then I hear this woman's voice. Coach! Don't you care about my son? Aren't you going to go out there? Coach, get out there and check on my son. This woman is boisterous. I'm not exaggerating. She is yelling, yelling, yelling. And I am standing there absolutely embarrassed just about what's happening going on. Coach, don't you care? And I'm thinking to myself, is this worth it? Did I hear you right, God? You asked me to coach these kids at Canton. Is this really worth it? I used to coach college football. I coached in a national championship game, for crying out loud. And I'm sitting at this stadium with 12 people in the stands with this lady yelling at me because her kid's a wimp and can't even play football very well. Coach, don't you care? 
Have you ever been there? You know, you stepped out of the boat. You went and did something that you thought God was asking you to do. And you get into the situation and, 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 and there's just pushback. There's pushback. There's someone or there's something. And it's like the wind and it's boisterous and, and, it, and it's yelling at you. And it's just causing you to ask this question, is it worth it? I mean, really, is it worth it getting out of the boat and doing something that you've never done before? Is it really worth it to fear not? Is it really worth it to step out and do something that you've never done before, do something that God is asking you to do? I mean, you've prayed, you've stepped out, you've finally taken the step, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and God's not answering your prayers, and you're asking yourself, is it worth it even to pray? You know, you, you've went back to school, you're, you're older and you're looking for a second career and you've questioned it, but you took the step, you got out of your boat and, and you're going back to school and then you're in your class with all these 20 year olds and you're thinking, I'm old and they're young and I can't even remember anything anymore and you're working, working, working and you're frustrated and you're struggling and you're asking yourself, is it really worth, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Maybe you opened a business and you had a dream of opening business and you were so afraid to do it, but you stepped out of your boat and you took a chance and you opened up the business and then it's not making money and people are saying you're going to fail and it's not going to be successful and there's just this pushback, pushback and, 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 then when, and, and at night when you're laying in your bed and you're just thinking about your life, you're saying, is this worth it? Did I do the right thing? Maybe you're single and, and, and you're just kind of tired of being single and you've looked and you've looked and you've been on eHarmony and you've been on all the sites and you, you've tried to date and you're looking, looking. And you've gotten to the point where you're just like, is this worth it even trying to find someone that will love me like I want to love someone? You know, you're just at the point where is this even worth it? Maybe you've tried to get pregnant and You've tried and tried and you've prayed and you've prayed and it just hasn't happened and you're to the point in your life where you're saying, is it even worth it anymore? And see, that's what doubt does. See, doubt makes you ask, is it worth it? Doubt makes, makes you ask when you step out of your boat, when you finally have the courage to step out of your boat and do something new, it always is gonna push back on you and say, is it worth it? And you say to yourself, well, that's exactly why I didn't want to get out of the boat, because I knew that was going to happen, and I don't want to live there, right? That's why it's better just to stay in the boat and stay in the known and don't do anything new or don't try anything new or don't believe God is limitless, just stick with what I know. Well, the other question that doubt makes us ask is, can I do it? Not just, is it worth it, but can I do it? Can I do it? You know, you, you, you finally stepped out of your boat and, and you said, you know what, for once in my life, I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to make decisions to eat healthier. And then as soon as you make that decision, what happens? Someone comes up to you and asks you to go out and have some ice cream, right? Isn't that what happens? When you finally make the decision, then they come up to you. And you're thinking to yourself, can I even do this? I remember we went through 21 days of fasting and prayer and what God asked me to give up. And it was day one and I was asking God, can I do this? Because I had such a craving for sugar because I'd become so addicted to it. I asked, can I even do this? You know, sometimes you go for a promotion at work and, you, you know, you finally had the nerve to step out of your comfort zone and step out of your boat. I'm going to go for it. And then you realize the superstar in your company is going for the same promotion. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not good enough. Can I even do this? 
you're just an angry person and you just get upset all the time and you know you have road rage and you finally come to the place where you say I'm going to get a hold of this I'm going to finally control my anger I'm not going to be angry all the time and as soon as you make that decision you're driving to work and wouldn't you know it someone cuts you off and gives you the bird and says some words to you and you're thinking can I even do this can I do this And when Peter was sinking, when Peter was going to drown, I I imagine he had those questions go through his mind. And then Matthew tells us that immediately when Peter began to sink, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And you know what? Great leaders ask great questions. If you're ever around a great leader, they will ask great questions because great leaders know that great questions get at the heart of the matter. And when you read that and and say, well, wow, Peter had this great faith. He stepped out of his boat of fear. He's walking on water and, and, and and he begins to sink. And then Jesus says, you have little faith. I mean, it took a tremendous amount of faith to step out of the boat. And we could even get a little defensive for Peter. And like, come on, Jesus, give the guy a break. He stepped out of the boat. And then he asks this question, why did you doubt? But see, if you read about Jesus and if you follow his life and study him, as you read the gospel accounts, he's always asking questions. He's always asking questions because he's a great leader. And great leaders ask great, great questions. And even if you're in a company or an organization, you can actually lead upwards just by the questions you ask. Because questions reveal values. Questions reveal what is most important to you and to the organization and the company. And Jesus asks this question because he's trying to get at something very important in Peter's life. He's trying to help Peter not be limited by doubt. He's trying to help Peter overcome something that Peter, he knew Peter was going to struggle with the rest of his life. And so he asked this very profound question, why did you doubt? Just think about that for a moment. Because doubt isn't something we make a schedule for, you know. It's not like you wake up in the morning and you say, oh, I'm going to have a cup of coffee and some doubt. Let's just, you know, I'm going you know, to have a little cup of coffee and, and a donut and some doubt. I'm just going to schedule some doubt into my life. That's, that's not how life works, right? I mean, doubt, doubt just comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Doubt, doubt just comes out of places we don't even realize. We're just kind of walking through our day and, and something happens to us or someone shows up and someone says something and all of a sudden we were really confident. We had faith and we were bold and we weren't afraid and then all of a sudden something happens and, and doubt begins to creep in. It's, it just comes out of nowhere and that's because doubt is based on feelings. See, doubt is based on feelings because doubt really is a feeling. When you experience doubt, you, you begin to feel something. It kind of comes into your mind and it kind of goes down into here and, and you start feeling this thing. And doubt is based on feelings. And, and Jesus knew that Peter was an emotional guy. Peter wore his emotions on his sleeve, so to speak. He was, he was just that kind of guy. He was very emotional. He knew that, that emotions and feelings would hold Peter back because if you live on feelings, your life is going to be up and down all over the place because that's where feelings are. And if that's where, you're, where you are, that's just what you know and that's what you experience. And feelings aren't a way to live. 
I uh, was actually impersonated this week by someone. I, some of you know the story because this actually affected you. So someone took my identity and impersonated me. They created a, a Gmail called uh, PastorDanHanson at gmail.com. It's not even, that's not my email. But they took my identity and they emailed people in the church and this is kind of how it went, that there were seven women that had cancer and I wanted to get eBay gift cards, a $100 gift card for each of these cancer patients uh, to try to help them out. So this person was pulling on heartstrings. They're pulling on feelings because, I mean, if you find out that someone has cancer and, uh, you know, and, and your pastor, you know, who you trust and adore and love, you know, and just do, do anything for, you know, they email you and, and ask you to help out these ladies, well, they're, they're pulling on your emotions. They're, they're pulling on your feelings, right? Not only people that have cancer, but just our relationship and the trust that we've built over the years. So, People were responding to this, whoever this was, and, you know, you know, when do you need these, and how can I get these to you? And, and people were literally headed out the door, which touched my heart. It really did touch my heart. People were headed out the door to do this. What good people we have. And then they got a nudge, and then they texted me and, and called and, you know, just wanted to make sure this was legit. And I said, no, this is, this is not legit at all. This is not what it appears to be at all. And see, that's what feelings can do. Feelings distort reality. See, when you start pulling on feelings and emotions, you can start believing things and seeing things that really aren't the truth. Does that make sense? And that, that can be uh, for bad or, or it can be, be for good. See, a lot of even pastors and churches try to manipulate people based on feelings, and that's what has hurt the church in so many ways because they've pulled on people's heartstrings, and then people realize, well, it's not legit, it's not real, and a lot of people have been turned away from the church because of leaders, pastors uh, like me that, that pull on heartstrings and, and manipulate people, and that's a very bad thing. It can, it can happen, and it happens all the time. But, but it can also, you know, hurt us in, in good ways. There, there could be really things that God wants us to do. And the enemy gets in there and brings feelings in like doubt that can prevent us from ever experiencing what God really wants us to experience in life. And while doubt is based on feelings, faith is based on facts. See, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. It's not like Oh, if I just have more faith, if I can just feel the faith just stirring up in my, in, inside of me and, and, and we're just going to do this, we're just going to do this because I have this feeling. No, faith is not a feeling. And again, that's another way that, that churches and pastors have pushed people away from God because they've said, well, if you just stir up this, this feeling of faith, if you just get enough faith in there, then, then you can do anything you want and, 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 and God will do anything that you, that, he, that you want him to do. And it's almost like they're treating God like this magical genie. And if we just you know, rub the bottle of faith in this feeling, we're going to get God to do whatever he wants, you know, what, what we want him to do for us. And that's not it at all. That's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not it, everyone. And if that's happened to you, I, I apologize on behalf of the church, on behalf of pastors and leaders. I apologize because that is not what Jesus ever taught. That's not what he taught at all. No, faith is based on facts. You see, I have faith 
that Andy, my wife, will be faithful to me, not because she said, I do, 25 years ago. I mean, it was great. I mean, when she came down the aisle, I mean, trust me, I was having feelings. I was like, mm, dun, 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 dun. oh, yeah, baby. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, it was good. I mean, there was feelings, okay. But, but the reason that I have faith that she is going to be faithful to me isn't, isn't, it's not because I have these feelings of love. It's because of the fact, because of the evidence that for 25 years she has said I do. Day after day after day she has said I do. She has remained faithful day after day. Yeah, that deserves applause because, listen, if you really knew me, you would be applauding a lot louder than that because, woo, it can be tough being married to me. <laughs> Amen, right? Don't look at your wife right now, Perry. Keep your eyes right here, Perry. Don't look at, don't look at Lolly. Just keep it right here, buddy. Right here. Stay in the box. Okay? <clears throat> All right? It, but but, uh, but, but that, that's the reason I have faith that she'll be faithful because there's evidence. There, there's facts that she, is, that she is, has been faithful. That's why I have confidence. You know, the best halftime speeches, and again, you know, I coached for many, many years. The best halftime speeches, when you get into a game and, 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 you, and, and things aren't going well and, and, and you're not winning and it's a little bit discouraging, when you get into the halftime, the best halftime speeches aren't this rah, rah. And if you want to know what goes on in the locker room, it's not, you know, oh, oh come on, guys, you can do it. Just believe. Just, just have faith. Just believe. You can do it. Those aren't the best halftime speeches. You know what the best halftime speeches are? When the coach stands before the team and says, listen, guys, listen, we've practiced all week long. We've worked all, all year long. Listen, we've, we have a game plan. Let's, you know how to catch a ball. You've, you've caught thousands of balls. You know how to tackle. You know how to keep your head. You know what a coach does? The coach reminds the team of the facts. The coach reminds the team of the evidence. The coach reminds the team of all the work they've put in. And when the team hears the facts, the feelings of doubt and discouragement go away. And all of a sudden, the facts and the evidence, yeah, coach, we have. And then they go out there and they do what they prepared to do. That's why... If God's only a God thing on Sunday, you don't have a whole lot of faith. Because you're not practicing every day. But when you pray every day and you read your Bible and you talk about God and you put the time in, it's amazing how when the doubt comes and the feelings come, how you can stand against it and say, no, 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 I know my God and my God is limitless. He is all powerful. He is almighty and I know what the truth of God says and I know I can connect with God in prayer and I know I got brothers and sisters that are pulling for me and I know in the name of Jesus, I can keep living for God no matter what the doubts may be like that's what it's about that's why gathering together in small groups is so important that's why worshiping is so that's why the growth track that's why I serve teams because all of these things are like practice it's evidence it's facts it's what the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 11. And I would love for you maybe this week even to read this if you're struggling with doubt because this will, this will help you in a mighty way. 
the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, he just starts listing facts and, and list, listing evidence. And he just says, by faith, Noah, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and he went. And by faith, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob, and by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. And by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. By faith, Moses, he chose to be mistreated. It's a fact, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, uh, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And he goes on to say, and what more shall I say? I don't have the time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and, and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all uh, Commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. And this is what he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, yeah, that praise the Lord. You see what he's doing there? You see what he's doing there? He's listing facts. He's listing evidence. Through all of history, there have been things, historical evidence, facts that have been done that give us faith today to run the race with perseverance. When doubt creeps in, we say, oh no, for all time, people have been following this almighty God. And there's facts and there's evidence to prove it. Our faith is not based on feelings. Our faith is not based on wishful thinking. In fact, you know, every single legal document, did you know every legal document has to have a date on it? If it's not dated, it's not going to count. And do you know what that date is based on? Do you know what that legal date is based on? Jesus Christ, his life. That is where time is split. It's before Christ and after Christ. Every single day, every birthday is based on Jesus Christ entering this world in human history. It, I mean, it is. Just think about it. Again, you could be, I don't know about God and I don't know about Jesus. And that's fine to have those doubts. But just think about that for a second. The reason today is today's date 
isn't because of Buddha or Muhammad. In fact, their birthdays are based on the birthday and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Time is marked. What other person in human history has time literally been marked by? It's fact. It's evidence. See, faith is based on facts. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So, so Jesus and Peter, they get into the boat and the wind ceased. And then those, again, all 12, all, the, all 12, those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. And I just wanna go back and just highlight this again. And when they, Peter and Jesus, got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those, all of them who were in the boat, came and worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. See, when Peter doubted, when Peter messed up, when, Pe when Peter didn't have the faith, you know, Jesus didn't keep walking on water and say, forget you, Peter, you know, oh, you have little faith. No. He was asking him that question, why do you doubt you have little faith? Because he wanted Peter to understand something. No matter how bad Peter messed up, no, no matter how bad he screwed things up, Jesus was never going to leave him. Jesus was never going to forsake him. Jesus wasn't going to keep on walking on water and let Peter drown. No, Jesus was going to be with him in his failure. Jesus was going to be with him in his doubts. Jesus was going to be with him in his fears. Jesus was not going to let Peter go. So Jesus reached down and he grabbed and he pulled out and they got in the boat together. And then all of them worshiped Jesus. And that is the mistake the church has made. We've made a lot of mistakes, folks. The church has made this mistake as well. When people mess up, when they fail, when they falter, the church pushes them away. The church abandons them. The church leaves them. That's not our Jesus. That's not our God. That's not Jesus. No, Jesus, when we doubt and we have fears and when we're messing up, he is there and he reaches down and he pulls us up and he gets in the boat with us and he's with us and he gives us a chance to worship him and be with him. Because he knows that doubt will have us ask this final question. Is it true? Is it true? Is it true? And when Jesus was arrested and crucified and Peter denied him, Peter had to have been asking this question, well, is it true? He said he was the son of God. I mean, I saw him do all these things. I mean, it was, it was real, I, I saw it, but, but now he's dead. He's dead. Rome won. Rome won, and, 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 he, and he's gone. And I betrayed him, and, and, it, and it's a mess. And he had to have been asking, is it true? Is it true? And if you know the story, later on, Peter's fishing, because, again, that's what his life was. He was out in a boat, and Jesus appears to him after he was resurrected. And Jesus calls Peter to the beach and he takes Peter for a walk down the beach and, and he reinstates Peter into the ministry. And again, Jesus kept coming back to Peter. And I want you to hear this. 
If you've had doubts, if you've had fears, fear not, doubt not. And even if you have, Jesus, he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's not going to give up on you because you have doubts and fears. Why do I know that? Because of facts, because of evidence, because throughout all of history, God has been running to us. God has been reaching to us. He is the beginning and the end. This family, this is the Collar family. Um, Joe Tarantino runs a ministry called Next Gen Basketball. We have, we have a basketball team, and uh, we just have some, some, some kids that play ball, and, and Joe coaches them. And uh, the Collars, who are on the left here, uh, uh, Arlen and, and Letitia here are the parents. Uh, their, their boy was on the team. And so they're at this uh, banquet, end of their banquet. First time I ever met them, I, I just came and shared a few words and, and there was some kind of connection there. I learned that their daughter, Ayana, who was right here, Ayana uh, had cancer and she had been diagnosed with cancer uh, back in, I think it was 2014 or 15. And she fought cancer uh, and she beat it, but then it came back. And uh, Ayana just passed away uh, this week on uh, 225 on Tuesday. She passed away. She, she lost the battle to cancer. And so I'm, uh, I'm sitting in my office and Mark comes and says, there's this gentleman by the name of Arlen that's here to see you. He said he met you at the Next Gen Banquet. And I said, okay. So he came back to my office and he sat down and he shared the news that Ayana had passed away, that she, she had lost the battle. And uh, she said, he said, Dan, he goes, uh, I know we're not members here. I, I know I only met you once, but what you shared that night has stayed with me. And I want you to, to do our daughter's memorial service. And I'm asking if it can be here at the church. And he said, you know, whether it be a feed, we have to pay anything. I said, no way, you're not gonna pay anything. I said, we would be honored to have this memorial service here at our church for Ayana, and I'd be honored to share some words uh, at this service. And so I'm talking uh, with Arlen. This is actually their last, this is their last uh, family photo. Letitia shared this with me yesterday. I met with them yesterday. Letitia said, this is their last family photo. It was at the Next Gen Banquet. And I sent this picture to them, and I asked if I could share this story, and Arlen said, sure. But as Arlen is sitting there, and, and, and I can't even imagine, he, he literally held his 13-year-old daughter in his arms when she passed away in their house with the family around. She took her last breath. And um, we're talking, and he said, you know, Pastor Dan, uh, I, I told Ayana that we have to have big faith in a big God because when things don't go our way, we need that big faith to, 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 to help us through. He didn't even know I was preaching on faith this week. He had no idea I was preaching on this topic. I said, Arlen, I said, it's crazy that you would come in here and say that. I'm so sorry for all this has happened, but like, this is what I'm talking about. And then he reached in his pocket and he pulled out, he had this shield, a shield that had faith written on it. And he, and he said, I'd given this to Ayana and she wore it around her neck. And he, he said, it's the shield of faith. And he said, whenever doubts and fears begin to creep in, we would hold on to this shield of faith. And he goes, and he goes, he goes in this, 
in this. She may have lost, she may have lost the battle with cancer, but she she has won the victory of eternal life with her God. So she's with God. It, <laughs> okay. That's fact. That's today. That's faith. And the reason that Arlen and Otisha have that kind of faith after losing their 13-year-old, and they're in tremendous pain and hurt, but they have faith because all along the road, God has been there in their life. <laughs> so, so Letitia asked me um, for my email because I needed to send her something. And she goes, what's your email? I said, 522, which is, that's the church's address, 522. And I said, football, because I love football, at gmail.com. She paused. She said, 522. I said, yeah. She goes, after the memorial service on Monday, we're going to have everyone go down to a place downtown with that Mr. Kuhn, Steve Kuhn, who owns Kuhn Restoration. Mr. Kuhn is giving that to them free of charge, allowing their family to go down there free of charge. She said the address to that place in downtown is 225. She said, 225 backwards is 522. She said the date that Ayana went home to be with God was 225. The address to where we're gonna gather as a family after the moment is 225. You're telling me your email is 522? I said, yeah. And then I said this, that's our God. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There is no limit on God. Now, you could say that's coincidence. Or, I mean, I'm just, I don't believe that at all. That's how real our God is. That's how factual He is. That, he just gives us evidence over and over again that He is with us, that He is with us, that He is with us. That's our God. So when doubts come in, don't let doubt take you out because faith isn't based on, it's based on fact. And our God reigns, our God reigns, our God rules, our God reigns. Don't let doubt take you out.